Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, joined today by my co-host, Scott Mason. Scott, how you doing today? I am doing well, and I have to say, being in Dalton Asario's shoes is getting to be a little bit more comfortable. I think his shoe size is a little bit bigger than mine, so I've just decided to triple up on the socks. Yes, we got a nice, uh, we got a nice three-man weave working here. We got Dalbin able to come in some <laughs> weeks, and we got S- Scott able to step up when Dalbin's out there uh, running his campaign, uh, which everyone should check out and donate to if you get a chance. Of course, uh, Scott, of course, as you know by now, is our host of the Play Like a Jet podcast, which has new episodes every Friday, uh, and then also now has a post-game. Uh, episode every Sunday with initial reaction of the game. Scott is currently working through uh, an interview with Justin Miller on the 2006 Jets. Scott, you want to give a super quick preview of what fans could expect this week? Sure. And by the way, the post-game podcast, I kind of consider it the audio version of your initial reaction column at turnonthejets.com. So we kind of have great symmetry there where we have the audio version and the written version, and you should check both out. But this week on Play Like a Jet, which will drop on Friday, we will finish up our series on the 2006 season with Justin Miller, the former Pro Bowl kick returner and also defensive back. We're going to get to the big rematch between Eric Mangini and Bill Belichick. We talked with Justin about how weird and frosty the relationship felt. In fact, the fact that Belichick went out of his way to not shake Eric Mangini's hand after and before the first game against the Patriots that season. In this game, there was a lot of chatter going into it as well as far as people asking Belichick about it and him not even referring to Mangini by name. So there's all kinds of craziness. Did that fire up the team? How did Mangini help prepare for that game? We have that. And then the season that was expected to be a throwaway season, did it turn into something a little bit more? The Jets would try and go for the playoffs down the stretch run were they able to make it? What happened at the end of the season? What does Justin Miller have to say from his vantage point? We're going to have all of that and more as we wrap up the 2006 season this Friday on Play Like a Jet. Make sure that you check us out at turnonthejets.com. Subscribe on iTunes. You can go and get it pretty much for anywhere where podcasts can be downloaded and do that for all of the Turn on the Jets digital shows, including this one that we're recording right now, Play Like a Jet. And if you subscribe to Play Like a Jet, as Joe mentioned, we have the post-game initial reaction show. That's on the Play Like a Jet feed, too, so you don't have to subscribe. This two separate podcasts. The one podcast will do it. And then also, of course, draft season with Dalvin and Jeff working their way through the best prospects in the country. And that's something you want to keep your eye on since, as Joe and I are about to talk about, there's definitely something that needs to be done at quarterback. We'll get into detail on that, I'm sure, in a minute. All kinds of fun stuff, including the Jet Take with Kyle and Ben. Every Wednesday night, they do a live call on show at 8 o'clock. We have a full network of Jets talk. It's great stuff, and dare I say, I know I'm involved in it, but I think it's better than anything you're going to hear on Sports Talk Radio because, Joe, we stay true to your mission to civilize coverage of the New York Jets, and I think we all do a really good job of it. And, in fact, let's get into that right now and uh, start this show off. Absolutely. We're going to talk about everything that happened in the New York Jets 24-17 loss to the New England Patriots, preview what to expect this week when they go on the road to play the Miami Dolphins, a rematch of the Jets week three, 20-6 win. Want to remind you guys before we dive in, this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport. 
official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to go to primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets to learn about their away game packages and also their home game tailgates before every game inside the Pepsi gate. Again, that is primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets. Also give them a follow on Facebook and Twitter at primesport. All right, Scott, Jets go into this game about eight or nine point underdogs to the Patriots uh, come out uh, and really knock the Patriots in the mouth. They basically go right down the field twice on the backs of two excellent catches from Jeremy Curley, uh, who's throwing it back to his, uh, I guess, 2012 heyday it was when he led the team in receiving yards. And they're up 14-0. And I'm not going to lie, like some Jet fans, I started Googling Super Bowl tickets and Super Bowl hotels with that 14-0 lead. But New England, no lead is safe. And the Patriots really, from the point of Curley's second touchdown, basically took a complete stranglehold of the game, scored 24 unanswered points, two touchdowns by Rob Gronkowski, unfortunately, both of them on rookie Jamal Adams, who has now given up three touchdowns in two weeks. Of course, no shame in struggling uh, with a future Hall of Famer and arguably the best tight end of all time in your first ever matchup with him. But, you know, the Patriots did their thing. Jets... In much un-Jet-like fashion that we've seen in recent years, instead of laying down and losing this game 38-14, to they chip back. Obviously, they get robbed on that Austin Safarian Jenkins should have been touchdown. I think that's been discussed to death, so we're not going to uh, spend too much time on it. But I think anyone with eyes could see that was a terrible call and terrible decision. Either way, the Jets get it to 24-17. Uh, they're able to get a stop. They're able to get the ball back and really had a decent shot to have a few chances into the end zone. But Josh McCown missed a blatantly wide open Travaris Cadet out of the backfield and instead threw it kind of to nobody on fourth down. Jets lose 24-17. You know, in my opinion, really, the difference in this game was just the disparity at the quarterback position. McCown racked up a lot of yards through a pair of touchdowns, also through a pair of interceptions, missed a fourth down opportunity uh, earlier in the second half to Eric Tomlinson that should have been converted, missed Robbie Anderson in the end zone, missed Robbie Anderson deep, uh, and then, as we mentioned, missed, missed Cadet late in the game. So, you know, this Jets offense has gotten its fair share of praise because, look, they're not working with much and they're moving the ball, but the reality is, is that they're scoring 17 points a game and you can't score 17 points and expect to beat New England. The Jets' defense, for the most part, for the most part, uh, has done their job most weeks. They just need more offensively. And the problem is, is that there's a hard ceiling to what your offense could be when Josh McCown is your starting quarterback uh, and when some of the other pieces that they currently have are so prominently featured. Scott, you were at the game. Why don't you describe what the environment was like and then what your initial thoughts and reactions were? It was a strange environment. I was telling you before we started recording, Joe, it seemed to be about half the stadium was Patriots fans. I'm going to go ahead and guess that probably what happened was they bought tickets on StubHub before the season or maybe a game or two into the season when everybody was thinking the Jets were going to be terrible and this game was going to mean nothing. So they gobbled the tickets up, and then I would bet you there was some seller's remorse on the end of the Jets fans who sold the tickets because, of course, going into this game, they were tied first place. It was a weird atmosphere because, as Kyle Fahey and I were joking on the post-game reaction show, when something would go the Jets' way or the Patriots' way, you couldn't really tell just from the crowd reaction because normally with the home team, you hear a loud roar of the crowd, and boom, okay, you know it went the Jets' way. But in this case, you were like, okay, let me look around. Who's doing the cheering here? So that environment was weird, but 
the game itself was really fascinating. I had a bunch of Patriot fans in my section. I'm not going to get into the Safarian Jenkins call. Like you said, the only thing I will say is just to back up your point about anyone with eyes, the Patriot fans in our section all were looking at us going, well, you know, I'll take it. But, boy, that was a really bad call. Uh, the game itself, look, the, the takeaway that I had and that a lot of us had was when the Jets got out, out to that 14 nothing lead, it was, hey, you got to keep your foot on the gas pedal here. But like you said, Joe, the gas only goes so high. You know, the, the, the miles per hour can only go to, what, 75 or something like that because you've got Josh McCown at quarterback and you've got very limited, I guess, skill level positions there. Uh, Curly, like you said, he threw back to 2012 or 2011 or whatever uh, season you want to put on him from when he was at his best. But that only lasted for so long. He had a couple of nice catches. I like Jermaine Curse, but he is what he is. And, and Curly, too. They're both basically number three receivers. Robbie Anderson is a good player, but he needs a little more help around him. And the running game, other than the Elijah McGuire big run and the Bilal Powell big run, it's been more or less non-existent. They haven't been able to get much going. And there's, like you said, Joe, a very definite ceiling to what they can do. 17 points a game can get it done against a terrible Cleveland Browns team and at home against a pretty bad Miami Dolphins team. But against the New England Patriots, it's not going to happen. Now, I said before the game, the Jets would have a chance if they could hold the Patriots to under 30 points, which they did, if they could capitalize when the Patriots made big mistakes, which the Patriots didn't make a lot of big mistakes, but they did get some points when they, when they had opportunities. So we'll give them that. But the, the bottom line was that the other thing that I said was that they had to make sure that they didn't make mistakes of their own. And Josh McCown made a ton of them, whether it was, like you said, missing wide open receivers, just throwing bad passes, or, of course, the turnovers. That was, that, those were the backbreakers. I think the game really turned, and my father said this when he was our special guest on the postgame podcast, when the Patriots, as they very often do, especially against the Jets, it seems like they do this against the Jets every time they play them, scored a touchdown at the very end of the half, and instead of the Jets going in 14-7, they're tied, and the Patriots get the ball to start the half, and the Patriots march down the field, score, and listen, the good news here, like you said, the Jets got punched in the mouth, and they did come back. They were victims of a bad call. But they still, up until the final minute of the game, were fighting and fighting and fighting against a team that, let's be honest, was just better than them. So that's really what it boiled down to. The Jets fought with all their might, and they gave it everything they had, but the gap just in the end was too much. And they did cover the spread for anybody that cares about that. So they did better than a lot of people expected. But in the end, Joe, there is that gap. I think it really begins at the quarterback position, although obviously they need help at wide receiver and they could use some help at running back as well. And we'll, we'll get into that. But that was my takeaway really is that the jets did about as well as you could expect against a team. That's just that much better than them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to be too discouraged about that game. I think they hung around. They look like they belong on the field with them. They looked more like a team who, feels more like a 7-9 or 8-8 eight eight team rather than a 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 team, which is better than I expected. I, you know, mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, I'm not surprised by the 3-3 three and three start. I picked them to start 3-3. Three and three. But, you know, with that game, they had the looks a little bit more of a team who could probably win, 
you know, four or five more games maybe instead of just two or three more games. But we're going to really find out over this next stretch of four games, which all of these games, Miami, Atlanta, Buffalo, uh, and Tampa, all these spreads should be somewhere between three and four points in either direction. Uh, all of them are fairly winnable. Initially, at the beginning of the year, you might not have said that, but Atlanta struggled. Tampa Bay has struggled. Uh, and Miami and Buffalo are divisional games, and Jets have already beat Miami, and they, they hung with Buffalo relatively well in week one. So, you know, are the Jets going to go two and two? If that's the case, then coming out of the bye week, you're not going to see any lineup changes. Are they going to go 0-4? At that point, they're going to go much younger. Even if they go 1-3, and you wonder if they look at potentially going younger. younger. But we'll find out how they bounce back from a hard, a difficult loss uh, where they certainly rightly feel like they got screwed over by the officials and how they handle playing a team that they beat already this year, a team that internally they should have a lot of confidence that they could beat again. But now they have to go into their building. Miami's won two in a row, uh, just came back and beat in Atlanta in a pretty impressive fashion. So it's not going to be as easy as this game was in week three. But if the Jets do the things they did in week three, which is shut down Jay put the game in Jay Cutler's hands, offensively find a way to hit a big play down the field and do something running the ball because they really have not been able to do anything consistently. It's a winnable game. But, you know, if they don't find a way to sweep Miami and lose this game, all of a sudden you're 1-3 and in the AFC East. You're still in the last place in the division. And now it's really an uphill climb because you have Atlanta coming into your building. And even though they've struggled, they'll still be five or six-point favorites. So this is a, it's a pivotal game for the Jets. It's a game that we know they could win. But you have to worry a little bit about when does McCown sort of rear his ugly head? Can he protect the football? Uh, and can he score enough points for the Jets to win this game if their defense is not as dominant as it was in the first matchup? The Jets completely had shut them down in the first matchup. It might be a little unrealistic to expect that Ajayi is going to do absolutely nothing in this game and that Miami isn't going to make some adjustments. So you have to hope that the Jets could get to that 20-point threshold. And if they do, they should have a good chance to get to 4-3. and three. And if they get to 4-3... and three, you're not going to see any of this pivot to the younger players on the roster. This is going to be a team who's hovering around 500, at least up through their bye week. So it's a big one this weekend. I mean, do you think the Jets have it in them to go sweep a Miami team who's now 3-2? and I think it's certainly possible. I wouldn't be counting my chickens before they hatched. People a week or two ago were counting this almost as an automatic win. I think a lot of it was because of how horrible – the Dolphins looked when they came into MetLife Stadium. But like you said, Joe, they had a really nice come-from-behind win against a good Falcons team this past week. They beat a Tennessee Titans team the week before that didn't have Marcus Mariota, so a lot of people were discounting that. But beating the Falcons is a big deal. So this will be an interesting test. Like you said, it's certainly not out of the question. If they can score their usual 17 to 20 points and the defense can do their job and hold the Dolphins I don't know necessarily to as low of a score as he did last time. I think, like you said, that's unrealistic. But if they can hold them to, you know, like you said, in that 10 to 17 point range, which I don't think is out of the question considering that the Dolphins' offense hasn't exactly been explosive, I think they have a, a decent chance to go on the road and win. But here's where the rubber meets the road. It's, we're getting into dangerous territory in the sense of, like you said, they could be 4-3, and three, and then what? Do they end up? Six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight. Does this end up being like that season a couple of years ago when Geno Smith was a rookie? The team went eight and eight, 
They ended up with the 18th pick in the draft. They picked Calvin Pryor. We know how that all, all turned out. Instead of maybe kind of bottoming out a little bit and getting better draft picks and, and replenishing the roster with a lot of the skill position players that they desperately need, uh, all due respect to Curley and Kirsten, guys like that, they definitely need upgrades and certainly at the running back position. And to that point, I thought your column at Turn on the Jets this week was excellent about the trade deadline situation and being realistic about it. You kind of took the approach that they should be sort of like the Yankees in the sense of let's not kid ourselves into thinking that even if they hang around a little bit, that they're going to be contenders this season. And so really anybody who is on a one-year deal or is past a certain age should be available for the right price. It doesn't mean, like you said in the article, that they should actively necessarily shop these guys, but that they should be willing to listen. So we're going to see where this goes. I have a feeling that, like you said, especially if they win against the Dolphins, we're going to see the Jets in a situation where they're going to go, hey, we're 4-3, and three, and down the stretch we can really compete rather than listening to potential trade offers and doing what the Yankees did last year, which, by the way, as we record this, the Yankees are in the ALCS, so I'd say that strategy worked out reasonably well for them. But I do think that the Jets have a good chance to win on Sunday. I don't think it's an automatic like some people thought a couple of weeks ago, and I do think it'll be a close and interesting game, if nothing else. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out. And like you said, Joe, this game will tell us a lot about what the – direction of the team will be as far as record and as far as whether or not we get to see more of the younger players and if the Jets are quote-unquote sellers at the trade deadline. want to remind you guys that this podcast is also brought to you by mybookie.ag. If you are looking for a place to get involved in the action for the upcoming NFL Week 7, definitely make sure to use mybookie.ag. Use promo code TOJ for an up to 100% deposit cash bonus back on whatever you put in for the first time you play. Again, that's promo code TOJ at mybookie.ag. You play, you bet, you win. We're week into week seven, so you should have start to have somewhat of a better feel for what's going on with some of these lines, although it's been a difficult season uh, to predict at this point. But if you are looking to get involved, one more time, that's mybookie.ag with promo code TOJ for up to a 100% deposit bonus back on the initial account open opening that you do for this upcoming season. All right, so before we wrap, I do want to touch on two more things, the, the trade article that you had mentioned and then the ongoing struggles of Muhammad Wilkerson. So with the trade article, my overall thought was that, look, you need to honestly self-scout your team. If you believe this team can go 10-6 and six and compete in the playoffs, you should be looking to add on to the team. Maybe get a pass rusher. Maybe get an inside linebacker. Maybe improve a returner. If you think the hard ceiling for this team is 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight and they can't win a playoff game, you need to start thinking about how you could best position yourself for 2018, 2019, and 2020. So if you look at a guy like Curse or Curley who are playing well right now, is there a receiver desperate team who would give up a mid-round pick for one of them? Because you want as many picks as you could possibly have next year. It gives you as many shots as you need in the draft. The more shots you could take, the better chance you have in such a crapshoot. You also have more assets to potentially package and trade up and get a quarterback if you end up picking outside the top 10. 
Uh, and the same goes for a guy like Bilal Powell. The same even goes a little more outside the box for a guy like Josh McCown even or Morris Claiborne. And my point was that if tomorrow you replaced McCown, Curley, and Curse with Petty, Stewart, and Hanson, maybe you're 15% worse on offense for the first two or three weeks. After that period of time, you're probably pretty close to the production level, level, maybe 5% less. Maybe you lose one or two more games. But at that point, does it hurt that much more if you go 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 instead of 7-9 and nine or 8-8? Eight and eight? It's a question worth, worth asking, and it's a question worth asking, is Jermaine Curse and Jeremy Curley guys who are going to be key players on a contending team in 2018 or 2019? Or hurt? Or or they have finally really hit their ceiling and there's a ceiling to the type of offense you could have if those guys are key pieces in it. Whereas we still need to see what that ceiling could be with guys like Stewart, Hanson, Anderson, and Anua when they come back. That's why you drafted those guys to develop them and have them be the key long-term pieces. Even if you look at a guy like Morris Claiborne, who's been great, arguably the Jets' defensive MVP through six weeks, if he plays 16 games... Even if he does stay healthy for this entire year, how comfortable are you giving him long-term guaranteed money at 28 years old when he's missed 33 games through his first five seasons? Probably not that comfortable. You're probably going to want to give that 75, 85, 90 million dollar contract to a different corner. His trade value will never be higher than it is right now. I know it's an outside outside of the box way to think, but you got to ask yourself, what is the hard ceiling for this team? And can you find a way, obviously you're not going to trade four or five players to the deadline, but is there one or two guys that you could move and potentially get back a mid-round pick? So now you have 10, 11 picks going into next year. If you think that the ceiling for this team is only seven to nine, the Jets have two weeks to decide on this. It's a different discussion if they're five and three or if they're three and five, but it's something to consider going into this deadline. I mean, Scott, what young players in particular would you hope to see more in the coming weeks? Well, you just said it. Stewart and Hanson, absolutely. We haven't seen any of Chad Hanson, really. Stewart, we've seen sparingly. I'd like to see more of him. I wanted to see more of Elijah McGuire. I still do. I, I know we've seen more of him than we have in the past, but just enough of Matt Forte already. When Bilal Pal comes back, I wouldn't mind seeing Forte just get cut. Beyond that, those are really the, the key pieces that I want to see. Hanson, most of all. I'd like to see Petty at some point if the Jets – I mean, it's hard to really make an argument for him right now, but if the Jets lose a few in a row and it becomes clear that they're not in contention for anything, then I would like to see Bryce Petty, not because I think he's necessarily the answer, but because I would like to see if he has the potential to be the long-term backup behind whoever, quote-unquote, the guy does end up being at that position. So just off the top of my head, those are the guys that really stick out to me, the two receivers, and eventually down the line, I would like to see some of Bryce Petty. All right, before we wrap, uh, we just got to call out our ongoing, never-ending disappointment with Muhammad Wilkerson, who still now has (laughs) zero sacks through six games, has three sacks over his past 20 games. And if you look at some of the breakdowns from Brian Baldinger this week, is just basically laying down out there, a low effort player, whether he's hurt, whether he's not hurt, the excuses aren't working over a two-year period. This guy would have the third highest cap hit for a non-quarterback in the NFL next year if the Jets brought him back on his current deal. There is absolutely no way you could bring him back. Never mind that money, but with just how unproductive he's being. He is immediately turned into being 
an average at best defensive lineman, which is leading to double teams of Leonard Williams, which he is struggling with. And yes, as the sixth overall pick, you hope Williams can eventually find a way to fight through those and be productive as well. But the Jets defensive line, zero total sacks across the entire unit through six games. And, you know, Jet fans a couple of years ago were arguing to me that Mo Wilkerson was a top five defensive lineman in the NFL. Right now, I don't know if he's a top 55 defensive lineman in the NFL. It's just been difficult to watch at this point. It's almost been like the Darrell Revis thing, where out of nowhere he went from being one of the best in the league at his position to now, like you said, Joe, he's, it almost seems like he's not trying, and let alone producing it. It almost seems like he's not trying. We do some really good film room breakdowns at TurnOnTheJets.com, and one guy who does a great job outside of TurnOnTheJets.com, uh, the host of Jet Nation Radio, Joe Blewett, he does a full breakdown, play-by-play, of all of this, and he has gone through this week by week with Muhammad Wilkerson and just showing bit by bit just how unmotivated and lazy he seems. Not even that he's playing poorly, but he just doesn't even seem interested in trying to do anything. And it's really a sad thing because he's a guy that I think the fan base really liked a lot, and everybody, was, or most people, I should say, were excited when he signed a long term deal because he was going to be that key piece of that defense for many years to come. And now it seems like just like Revis, when we were all excited when he came back and two years later he was unceremoniously dumped and now he's out of the league, who knows what happens with Muhammad Wilkerson. I think maybe somebody takes a shot at him, but who the heck knows. I would guarantee that if he continues this, there's zero chance he's on this roster next year. The only way that they even consider keeping him is if he really starts to try harder and make an impact because he's dragging everyone down, Joe. Like you said, he's a guy that they were supposed to be able to rely on, but now Leonard Williams is facing double teams and he's having tr- trouble with it. He it really is being brought down his level of play because of Muhammad Wilkerson. And a lot of the other guys all throughout the defense aren't playing maybe to the maximum of their capabilities because the scheme or the defensive line, I should say, is geared towards having Wilkerson and uh, Williams be dominant. And if Wilkerson's not going to be not only dominant, but not even really a contributor, everything else kind of takes a little bit of a step backwards. So I think you said it best. This is a guy that will not be here next year unless he turns it around. And the way he's been playing, it just seems like he's cashing the checks and that's all he really cares about. All right, that is going to be a wrap for this week. want to remind you guys to follow me on Twitter at jcaparoso. Follow Scott on Twitter at playlikeajet1. Follow the Play Like a Jet podcast on iTunes. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review. Do the same thing for the Turn the Jets podcast on iTunes. Do the same thing for draft season. Do the same thing for the Jet Take. Uh, and make sure, of course, as always, to check out theloyalist.com backslash turn on the Jets for our gear. Turn on the Jets.com for new articles. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week.